Oh, I've been practicing with the dog. I've been, going, I've been preaching to him and I've been trying to slow myself down as best I can because I know I get a bit carried away and speaking fast. So, is anybody good at making a noise like a horse by any chance? No. If I'm racing through it, just make a noise. It'll be our code. <laughs> but, uh, okay. So, the armor of God. If we take a look around at the world, it's easy to see needs we all have in common. The need for protection, for example, is shared by people the world over. We spend a lot of time and resources and on protecting ourselves and those we love, or even protecting the things we own. It's a need that runs deep. Uh, one that's in our blood, often literally in our blood. Every year we dispense a staggering 4.5 trillion doses of medicine to protect us from illness and death. Um, that's a lot of medicine. But governments spend trillions on the military to protect us and trillions on equipment to protect them. Uh, we screen everything around us for threats and danger, seeking to reduce the risks. We buy insurance to protect against things that haven't even happened yet and may never happen. Take, for example, your car. If we contain, depending on the model that you drove here in, somewhere between 30,000 and 50,000 parts, each one of those parts has to be tested to ensure safety. That list on the screen gives you an idea of what each part goes through, and that's only a partial list. Um, so it adds up to 1.5 million safety checks on the individual parts of your car before it even goes to be assembled. Um, it could be worse, because if you arrived here this morning in a Boeing 747 with 6 million parts, you'd be looking at a possible 180 billion checks before assembly, 180,000 billion safety checks. So it might seem like health and safety have gone a bit mad at times, um, but there's good reason that we go to such lengths to protect ourselves. When we're sitting with our family in a plane at 30,000 feet, we really don't want those parts to fail. Uh, those checks keep us safe. They protect what we value most, which is life. As precious as our lives are, as Christians, we have a far more valuable eternal life. Um, if people the world over value and protect that which is most important to them, how much more do we need to protect this eternal life that we have in Jesus? The question today is, what are the dangers we need protection from, and how do we protect ourselves from them? The passage we're reading this morning gives us answers to these questions. It's a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus. Today's passage is Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 18, also known as the armor of God. And today, Roz is going to be reading it first. Thanks, Roz. This is a safety check of the highest order. Stand. 
Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Thanks, Rose. At the start of our passage in verse 10, Paul issues a command of the utmost importance to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This line is not Paul saying to Christians, um, could you just be strong, as if you were saying to somebody sick, could you just be well? No, this is Paul telling us to be strong in the Lord. There's a mighty power here that we need to embrace, um, and it belongs to God. He goes on to show us how to do that. He tells us to put on the full armour of God. Which brings us to the question, what exactly is the armour of God? Uh, Before that, verse 11 gives us insight into why we need to put the armour on. We do this so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes or wiles, depending on which translation you use. This means that the devil uses devious and cunning strategy um, to persuade and to manipulate and to get us to reject and turn against God, um, causing as much harm to us and those around us as possible. There are countless ways he does this, and most of them not so obvious. He'll have us believe we're doing the right thing. Um, sorry, in Second Corinthians 11, Paul describes Satan as masquerading as an angel of light. Now, an angel of light is one who brings truth and goodness, a messenger of God. He'll have us believe that we're doing the right thing, that we're following the right path, the right teaching. Um, he'll tell us everything that we want to hear. But all the while he sows seeds, uh, lies that appear to be true, but in time grow into unbelief, hatred and death. Um, He'll have us question God's methods and motives, get us thinking that we could do better, that God's way is wrong. Instead of understanding that God is protecting us from evil in our eyes, uh, God now becomes a God who withholds good things from us. Uh, This sin that we desire, and all this right up to the point where we pass judgment on God, and make ourselves God. Uh, Satan would have us rebel against God and embrace our own destruction. Verse 12 states that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces. The words Paul uses to describe the enemy are not trivial. He describes an army of evil, one that can influence the world around us as well as our own hearts. And we need to understand that this is a spiritual battle, a battle against a vast and powerful enemy, an enemy that knows our weaknesses, uh, that knows where to hit us and when. The day we trusted in Jesus, we became a target for the forces of evil. And as we seek to follow Jesus more and more, we can be guaranteed that opposition will increase. 
Verse 13 tells us that it's because of this battle we shall put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if the day of evil comes, but when the day of evil comes, um, we can stand our ground and after we've done everything to stand. Uh, We know the Bible says over and over that we can never lose our salvation. Uh, Once God has us in his hand, we're his and nobody can take us from him. Uh, Even knowing that, there's the reality that we've seen friends who appear to serve God wholeheartedly um, only to struggle and seemingly walk away and turn their backs on Jesus. Uh, we see how many once great spiritual men and women have been rocked by horrific scandals of abuse and deception. Uh, we see the gospel twisted and used to serve selfish goals and ambitions, twisted to become the opposite of what it is. Families, people, relationships, Uh, lives destroyed by every sin that takes root in our hearts. The difference between us and the people who fall is non-existent. There's no difference. No us and them. We're all sinners. Uh, This is reality. This is our reality. And there's parts of this passage that I really want to lean on, and this is definitely one of them. It's a warning to each of us that Satan finds a way, and it can, and it will happen to each of us. Uh, It happens because when the day of evil comes, as Paul warns of in this passage, when the right circumstances converge, when, as the Apostle James says, each person is tempted, when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And sometimes that only takes a second to happen. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if you think you're standing firm, Be careful that you don't fall. With this in mind, we better examine ourselves well. and better make sure of our faith, of our walk with Jesus. Make no mistake, Satan can and will offer us everything uh, that our fallen nature desires. He'll use every foothold to destroy our lives and the lives of everyone we hold dear. Whatever it takes. That hidden sin we hold on to the sin we trivialize and turn a blind eye to. It's not trivial. And if we fully understood its origin and its end goal, where it leads to, we not only reject it, we run from it. If we trust God that he really wants the best for us, it will help us understand sin, that we really are in spiritual warfare, whether we accept that reality or not. And this takes us to our need for spiritual armor, How exactly do we protect ourselves against this type of enemy? Well, we put on the armor of God. And the armor is a metaphor, a picture. It's a reminder of all that we have in Jesus, of his glorious power and how we defend ourselves through it. And the image of the armor will help us to remember it. It's a reminder to us as Christians of the resources of God that we need to call on. Uh, To put the armor on is to make a conscious and deliberate decision to bring to mind everything the armour represents. Verse 14, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. This first piece of armour is the truth. Our foundation as Christians is that Jesus is the absolute truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we love Jesus, we love the truth. And we make sure our lives are rooted in God's truth, which is found in Scripture. In all ways, we seek to live the truth and speak the truth. 
In this world, we're surrounded by lies from media telling us how we should live and think and look to false teaching about the Bible. And we need to identify and reject the lies of Satan that seek to destroy us. These can also take the form of lies inside us, um, lies that try to tear us down, the ones that twist our thoughts. If we believe these lies for a long time, they can be harder to spot, often wrapped in pain from trauma and our past. Yeah. If, we be- if we can recognize them as being the thoughts that say we're not good enough, uh, not lovable, too broken, too sinful, that we're to blame, the list goes on, but they will always accuse them to take every form possible to attack us, seek out every way that we're vulnerable, but their goal is always the same, is to break our relationship with God and with each other, uh, to seek to build walls between us and God, to destroy us from the inside out. Instead of listening to these lies, we need to replace them with the truth of our identity as we find it in Scripture. We need to trust God and take him at his word, trusting that we are chosen and saved and loved as God's children, um, trusting um, as we counter lies in all their forms with God's truth, which we always find in Scripture. And that brings us to the breastplate of righteousness. Um, righteousness is to be right in God's eyes. As Christians, we know we're sinners. That's just a fact. Uh, we also know God sees us as righteous, not because of anything we've done or anything we could do, but because of Jesus. Jesus paid for and forgave all our sins, wiped clean, gone forever. Um, as incredible as that seems, um, it is pretty mind-blowing when you think about it. Um, when the Father looks at us, instead of seeing our evil, he sees Jesus' righteousness. And this all happened when we trusted in Jesus' sacrifice to save us. And we remind ourselves that God has declared us righteous, not by our own actions, but by his grace. It's the gift of God. And when God declares us righteous, um, the accusations and condemnations of the devil, reminding us of our sin, can't stand against God's word. Even when our feelings rise up and try to condemn us, as they like to do, God has spoken, and his word is final. It's the end. And we have Jesus to thank for that. We also have the Holy Spirit with us here and now, and he'll always point us to Jesus and lead us in the path of righteousness. When we sin, he'll make it weigh heavy on our hearts until we turn away and turn back to Jesus. He always guides us in our walk with Jesus. In Matthew 6, Jesus tells us to seek righteousness, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And that's what we need to do, pursue righteousness. And what does it mean to pursue righteousness? Well, it's not self-righteousness. It's not trying to earn our way or thinking that we're great. Um, instead, it's living a life of love for God and for each other in the righteousness that God has given us. In First Thessalonians 5, verse 8, Paul tells us to be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. It means we seek to be like and to live like Jesus. The Bible becomes our guide in how, we live, in how to live this out. So we seek to live like Jesus. Next in our armour, Paul tells us to have feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And we need to be constantly ready to share the gospel whenever God gives us opportunities. Um, This is what we're commanded to do, as we see in Matthew 18. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. And how could we claim to love God and those around us if we didn't reach out and try to share this amazing news, um, this new life with them? Uh, it's a mission of love for all of us as we seek to share the good news. So we fit our feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The shield of faith is next on our list. As a small child, I thought faith was believing in something really hard. Um, I read that those with faith the size of a mustard seed could move mountains or heal people. So I'd hold my breath and try and believe as hard as I could, but funny enough, it never worked. But it took a long time to understand that faith is trusting God, and it too is a gift from God. This shield of faith is trust in Jesus. And trust doesn't come, any for, it doesn't come easy for many of us. Um, life does that. Yet, over time, as God allows us to get to know him more and more, uh, our faith grows in spite of our fears and doubts. We get to a place where we know that if he tells us to turn from sin, it's for our greatest good. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, we see that trust broken. Um, Adam and Eve listened to Satan as he twisted God's word, and he began, they began to doubt God's goodness. Doubted his word that they'd ever die if they had the fruit. Um, they stopped trusting and reached out and took the fruit, putting their will above God's, uh, seeking to make themselves God. Uh, we do that too when we reject God, when we sin. What we should know by now is when we reject God, we reject all that's good too, because all good comes from uh, that's the road to hell. It's the road the whole earth is on. So how can faith shield us from this? We trust that God is who he says he is, that he wants the best for us. We trust that he will keep every promise, that he loves us, forgives us, and gave his life for us so that we could come back to him. Uh, we trust that he is good and that sin is evil. We trust him through everything, even when it doesn't make sense to us. We trust that he has a plan, even if we can't see it. Uh, this is how, as Paul puts it, we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And we trust. The last two pieces are in verse 17. We're to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Uh, this helmet of salvation, what does it mean? And how do we protect ourselves with it? If we go to Thessalonians 5, verse 8, again Paul tells us to put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. In the Bible, hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised. In other words, this helmet is our certainty of salvation. How can certainty of salvation protect us as Christians? For one, no matter what this world will draw at us, no matter what fears or circumstances or opposition we face, we are saved. And God loves us. Faith itself, it no longer holds the same fear for us. Nor do we fear to face the righteous judgment of God. We know too as we look around at the injustice and cruelty in this world that we're really looking forward to the day we meet Jesus and everything will be made right. Whatever we have to endure in the here and now can never take away our future with God in heaven. And maybe you're like me and you struggle to visualize heaven and that's okay. Because we don't have to see God's promises to hold on to them. 
And whatever we, um, we are saved, this is the truth. And that realization, that will strengthen us. The last piece of armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword in scripture meant power, it meant authority, it meant judgment. And God's word most definitely lives up to that. Isaiah 55:11, my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In the beginning, God spoke the universe into existence. That's the power of his word. It's the power of God. Whatever he says will happen. It will happen. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. How can God's word be alive and active? For many of us, we remember that before we trusted in Jesus, we'd heard a verse, a passage, um, some piece of scripture that took root and it just it changed us completely it may have taken a long time but God's word did exactly what it set out to do it's alive and it's active and it can't be stopped and Paul's, Paul uses the Greek word rima here and that means to speak aloud to speak God's word which is to use it and that's a really important teaching for us when Jesus was tempted in the desert, he always quoted God's word, God's truth. And this was recorded, not to help Jesus to remember, but so that we can learn from him and do the same. And the challenge for us is in order to quote scripture, we have to know it. We have to be familiar with it. We have to practice using it constantly. Uh, don't lose heart if you struggle to read it, because the reality is it's a battle. But it's a battle that should be at the heart of our walk with Jesus. It's easy to understand why it's a battle too when we factor in an enemy who will do absolutely everything to keep us away from it. God wants us to rely on him, on his promises and on his word. He wants us to speak his word to ourselves and to others and to see his power at work. By reading his word we get to know Jesus and allow ourselves to be transformed into his likeness which is the most loving thing God could ever do for us. His word needs to take a leading role in our lives. It's the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, and we need to equip it and wield it. The last verse, verse 18, tells us to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Be alert and pray constantly. This is how our thoughts should be governed. How we should renew our minds and change them to be like Jesus. And be alert. It only takes a second to fall. And pray always in every way that we can. There's a lot in this passage. And books have been written on the armor of God. On the individual pieces. And we've only had a few minutes to go through it. But before we finish, let's emphasize a few pieces to hold on to. Uh, there's a warning in this passage that we have a powerful enemy. One that will deceive and tempt and oppose us at every turn. Uh, he appears as an angel of light, offering what appears good to us. Around us, the world says, follow your heart. And that's what Satan says too. And he'll lead us into sin at every turn. The devil is described as a roaring lion. He'll attack whenever possible. The thing about warnings in the Bible is they all stem from God's love for us. 
And we need to remember that. He doesn't want us to get hurt. The need to trust God on this, we need to trust God on this, that when he asks us to turn from sin, it's for our greatest good. This armor of God that we've looked at this morning, it always protects us when we put it on, but we have to put it on. That takes a deliberate decision on our part to use the resources God has given us. It's an act of trust and obedience. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet ready to share the gospel, uh, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. Reminders of the reality that we live in. That there's a battle going on with a very real and dangerous enemy. A reminder of our shared weaknesses. And yet God is greater. Reminders that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That he's the truth we cling to in a world full of lies. And that he has declared us loved and righteous, forgiven and free. So we no longer need to listen to the lies of the, the enemy. We trust in Jesus that he has saved us and nothing can take that away. We recognize the power of the word of our God that absolutely nothing can stand against it. We hold tight to his word found in the, in the Bible as we seek to live in the truth of our salvation. If Jesus was tempted just as we are, and he quoted scripture, then that's what we need to do. We recognize the importance of scripture in every way. It's glorious power to change us and those around us to be like Jesus. How we need to read it and speak it as much as we can, not just to ourselves, but to all those around us. We also pray on all occasions, letting prayer become our way of thought. And we share the gospel of peace and love to everyone we can. Finally, the armor of God could also be written, God is our armor, because no power is stronger or greater than he. These safety checks we looked at today will keep us protected, but we have to use them. We recognize our weaknesses and we trust in Jesus. We get to know him through scripture, allowing his power to change us, leaning on his strength, his truths, his plans, not our own. We remember all he has done for us, that we're now children of God, declared righteous by him, and living lives of obedience, love, and humble gratitude to the glory of his name.